time for the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King has never let that stop him from attaining his goal on becoming a blind broadcaster. And now, here's the blind broadcaster himself, Luther King. Welcome to another episode of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. Still in the month of thankfulness, a.k.a. Thanksgiving. And as we head towards Thanksgiving, once again, to you all that are listening to this podcast, a very happy and pleasant Thanksgiving to you and yours. And of course, I know you're thankful for the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, otherwise you wouldn't be here. So, my guest this week is the longtime voice of the North Carolina State Wolfpack, Gary Hahn. Please rate, subscribe, and review the Blind Broadcaster Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, or your favorite podcast directory, and at Amazon Music as well. And this podcast is a proud entity of the Luther King Broadcast Network, and if you have suggestions for people you'd like to have on this podcast for each interview, you can give me those suggestions by several different means of medium. First, by old-fashioned electronic email at luther.king.tsb at gmail.com on twitter at king underscore tsb on facebook use the email address I gave you right at the top a few moments ago and you can find me on instagram at lking.cardinalsfan85 and if you would like to know more about this podcast you can log on to my website lutherkingbroadcastnetwork.com Find the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Facebook page. And for play-by-play events, go to the Luther King Broadcast Network Facebook page. Talking today with the voice of the Wolfpack, Gary Hahn. When did you know broadcasting was for you? Well, probably at about age 13, but uh, i got to go back a little bit uh, uh, prior to that. first 11 years of my life, I grew up in uh, western Pennsylvania near the Ohio border, and I started to, to become a uh, follower of the Pittsburgh Pirates Major League Baseball team. I love baseball, and I started listening probably pretty intently at about age seven to their radio broadcast, and they had a wonderful broadcast team. Both these men are in the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York, uh, Jim Woods, uh, the a straight man, the number two guy on the broadcast. And then the number one guy was kind of a wild man, Bob Prince, who was a uh, tremendous personality, uh, one of the biggest personalities in Western Pennsylvania sports history. And just listening to these men, you knew that, uh, they were having so much fun that it was just an incredible job. I mean, not, not many people have that much fun doing their job. My grandfather and father worked in a zinc smelting plant. They weren't having a whole lot of fun, but, uh, <laughs> These guys were, and I thought, what a job that would be to get paid for having that much fun and to get paid for uh, broadcasting baseball games, and that kind of hung in the back of my mind, and then by the time I was 13, I was pretty much uh, uh, decided that uh, this was the career for me, that I wanted to be a professional broadcaster, and uh, I really wanted to, to be the next voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, but that never happened. But uh, I did want to be a professional uh, broadcaster of uh, sporting events on radio, whether it be baseball, football, basketball, or whatever. And I knew a college education would probably benefit me doing that. So I started to look for schools where I could get on the air 
and uh, have a lot of practical application. Uh, the state school, uh, by this time, and when I was in high school, I was living in Western Maryland. I could have gone to the University of Maryland, probably saved my parents a lot of money, but uh, you didn't get on the air until you were a junior or senior, and a lot of it was just book learning, and I knew practical application was what I needed. So uh, I decided to go to uh, Butler University. They accepted me, and I started my career there. Uh, when I graduated from Butler, I, uh, my last semester, I was a news intern at Channel 13 in Indianapolis. Butler is located on the north side of Indianapolis, and uh, I was an uh, intern. I worked in the same uh, television station as David Letterman, who went on to big things in show business, but he was nobody at that time. He was just a booth announcer, and he did weekend weather at Channel 13. Well, he decided to leave and start his comedy career. And when he left, the booth announcing job opened up. So for about a year, I was just a booth announcer. It was a union job. And I would sit in the booth sometimes for an hour and say, sail in Saturday at Sears or something like that, or just give a station identification. Well, the uh, uh, television station had a management change. They brought in a new general manager. And uh, this guy took a look at the situation and he said, we just can't afford somebody to sit in the booth. You have to do what David Letterman was doing. You have to do weekend weather and booth announcing. And if you can't do the weather, then uh, we're not going to need you anymore. And so he said, I'm going to give you a uh, chance to uh, be the weather uh, forecaster and we're going to give you an audition. If you pass it, you stay. If you don't, you go. Well, he didn't like the way I did the weather, so I was out on the street. But fortunately, in a few days, I landed at a uh, radio station in Indianapolis where I started to work um, in, as a jack-of-all-trades and master of none. And one of the people I worked with was Don Fisher, who does the uh, Indiana University uh, football and basketball games. He's been doing it since 1972. He's still doing it. And I would help him on his sportscasts in the morning by covering things at night and uh, bringing in sound and things like that. So we became good friends. And uh, when I got off of that job, my, my normal nine-to-five job, I landed a job uh, 25 miles outside of town in a place called Plainfield, Indiana. They had a small radio station there, and they loved to do sports. And so they hired me as a play-by-play announcer for uh, football, two high school football teams. Uh, two girls' high school basketball teams, two boys' high school basketball teams, and I talked them into doing about 10 uh, Butler University uh, away basketball games. So I think uh, one year I did about 82 broadcasts on that station. So I'd get off of my job, and I would uh, get in the car, and I would travel all over uh, central Indiana doing uh, high school uh, and uh, some small college basketball and football. And... Um, that's how I sort of developed my style by doing that. Uh, I still didn't have a full-time sports job until about uh, three years later, I think it was, or a couple of years later, I landed in Louisville, Kentucky. And about a year after that, I started to uh, work on the University of Louisville uh, network. And uh, from there, uh, I uh, went to uh, NBC in uh, New York City because the Louisville station was being sold and the owners there uh, decided to let me look for a job. So they gave me a couple of months to look for a job and I landed at NBC uh, radio in uh, uh, New York city, sixth floor Rockefeller Plaza. And I worked there for a couple of years and, uh, but I knew I wanted to do play by play. 
And so I sent out feelers and uh, landed in Columbus, Ohio, as the voice of the Ohio State Buckeyes. Worked there for a couple of years and uh, due to some family considerations, went to uh, Alabama, worked on their network for a couple of years. And then when uh, Wally Osley retired as the radio voice of the NC State Wolfpack, I applied for that job. And there were about 130 applicants for it, but uh, the Lord opened up some incredible doors for me to come here. And I've been here for 30 years now. This coming season will be my 31st. So that's a little bit of a, a lengthy synopsis about where I've been. So what did you feel like you learned with making the mistakes at Butler? And what things did you pick up that you still use to this day as the voice of the NC State Wolfpack? Well, uh, basically, as a freshman at Butler University, we had a UPI. They used to have AP and UPI. We had a UPI ticker, and you would just rip and read newscasts. And uh, I learned how to read. I learned how that uh, speed kills uh, when you're reading. If you go too fast, you're going you're gonna to kick it around like a football. Uh, you need to develop a conversational style. Uh, you need to become an announcer, just not a reader. Uh, there are inflections, there are peaks and valleys in your delivery. Uh, those are some of the things I learned at Butler. But uh, the, the biggest thing I learned in high school and college was how to compete. Because when uh, these sorts of jobs open up, you have a lot of people that want, uh, that want that job. And you have to somehow find a way to get in the top five and get an interview and, and uh, beat them. And so uh, that was the thing that I learned probably more than anything else through all the stops was just how to compete. You have to, um, in this business, you have to work extremely hard. Uh, a lot of it for not a lot of pay unless you're in the television side. Uh, so you have to work hard. You have to get along with people and you have to be able to take it when things don't go your way. And uh, I finished second one time for the Detroit Pistons NBA play-by-play job. I finished second one time for the uh, Carolina Panthers NFL play-by-play job. Uh, I've had uh, finished uh, second for the University of Mississippi play-by-play job. I finished second for the University of Alabama play-by-play job, but I got on the broadcast as being a substitute to play-by-play man and color man and uh, pregame and postgame for football. So that worked out as well. But you have to be able to take it when things don't go your way. So those are some of the biggest things I think I've learned um, in um, my progression uh, up the ranks in broadcasting. When you started at NC State back in 1980, which is about to be your 31st season coming up, uh, 1990. What were the changes and the things that were different then than now with the equipment uh, and, and the. You didn't have as many games on television back then, so we had a bigger radio audience. Uh, you also had analog uh, for radio and not HD. Uh, things weren't digital back then. So what a lot of people would do would, would be that they'd turn their sound down on the television and turn us up on radio because they liked our radio broadcast more than the television announcers. Well, that's very hard to do now because of HDTV. There's more processing, and it's very hard to link up uh, radio broadcasts with the TV broadcast because we're either 20 seconds ahead or 20 seconds behind. We're usually like 20 seconds ahead. 
and uh, so that's one of the biggest things that's uh, that's changed. Uh, you didn't have the, uh, the the alignment and the conference alignment that you have now. Uh, there wasn't quite as much uh, uh, big money in college athletics as there is now. So uh, there have been a lot of changes over the last uh, 30 years. How is it dealing with your colorless Johnny Evans and sideline reporter also helps you with basketball in Tony Haynes? Like, how do how did you figure out how to deal with the analysts that you have now? And what were the biggest things that you learned listening to other broadcasters on how they dealt with their analysts? Well, I used to listen to a lot of broadcasters. Um, most of the time you develop a chemistry after you work together. But, you know, I was trained to try and get as many people listening and hold them for as long as possible. And if I was going to dominate the broadcast, that probably wasn't going to happen. I had two other voices. I had uh, uh, two other pair of eyes. And uh, with the games uh, being more and more on television, we had to come up with a niche to try and keep uh, radio listeners. And our niche is that we try to be as descriptive as possible, and we try to give them more information than the television broadcasters can. And therefore, hopefully, they'll be coming to us. And to do that, you have to utilize the other people on your broadcast. Uh, Johnny Evans is a former pro football player. He's a former NC State All-American. And Johnny knows football like he knows the back of his hand. So uh, you have to bring him in. You have to allow him to uh, to analyze plays. Uh, Tony Haynes on the sidelines also is a is very knowledgeable about the game of football and how it should be played, about trends, uh, lots of different things. He's He's sort of a second analyst, but he's at field level. And that gives us a tremendous advantage because we have a uh, really good analyst in the booth, and then we have another analyst on the field. And so he can spot things that we can't spot because we're pretty high up at uh, Carter-Finley Stadium, and we're pretty high up in some of the other venues uh, where we go for away games. Uh, I can remember doing a game at Ohio State, and if I hadn't had binoculars that day, I wouldn't have been able to tell who, who was who. I mean, you were so high. So uh, – you need those other eyes. You need those other voices. Uh, you need to be able to use them to get the, to give the public, give the listeners uh, maximum information. And so we all have a job to do. I describe plays. They analyze plays. They give a certain um, uh, perspective that I can't give. And so I don't try to do their job. They don't try to do my job. And it works very, very well together. And uh, uh, as far as learning how to uh, make all that happen, it ju just comes over. It's like experience. It's like players. Uh, when you're a young player, you're going to make some mistakes. But after you've been out there for a few years and now you're a senior, it all comes second nature to you. And that's the way it is with broadcasting. Uh, maybe in the first year or so, we might have stepped on each other a little bit, but that's rare now. And uh, you just kind of have a feel for what the other guy can do and when you can bring him in. And uh, we have an intercom system that is off air where uh, Tony, if he has something that he wants to, uh, to tell me, he'll tell the engineer. And then the engineer will, in, in my ear, say, go to Tony or something like that. 
And so we have that going on too, where our producer engineer is a big part of what we're doing. And uh, that way we're able to bring in uh, all the members of the team and give maximum information. And that's, uh, that's basically our niche. What was it like dealing with the other broadcast person that's no longer on the team since he's passed on Chuck Hushman? What was it like dealing with, you know, with him as a game day host, helping you out on the broadcast from his broadcast uh, person when, when he when I'm not came sure on I, board? I'm not sure I follow that question. I, when I first got there, I worked with Gary Dornberg and okay. Johnny Evans on football and then Gary Dornberg on basketball. Gary got sick and passed away. I think it was uh, 1997 or early 1998. Um, and then uh, Tony Haynes was working over at Duke at the time. Tony's an NC State graduate, and Tony thought that uh, uh, coming to NC State uh, would uh, be a, uh, a good move in his particular broadcast career. So that's uh, why he came over. Uh, but that's how Tony joined uh, Johnny and I uh, on the broadcast. And how long have you worked with Tony on basketball? And I know with him being the game day host of basketball plus color analyst, he wears multiple hats, but it seems like you and him have a good chemistry. And how were you guys able to develop that on the basketball side of things? Well, Tony and I have been working at Capital Broadcasting. I was actually his supervisor. We did morning sports on an, an outfit called the North Carolina News Network. And so uh, we had a three-person sports team, and it was me and Tony, and then there was a part-timer. And so uh, I got to know Tony very, very well. He got to know me very, very well. And, uh, so when uh, uh, Gary Dornberg passed away, uh, 1998. I think Tony's first year doing basketball was either 1998 or 1999. He still was contractually obligated to fulfill his responsibilities with Duke. And then as soon as that was over, uh, then he came and then started with me. So he's probably been with me since about 1998, I think, something like that, doing, doing basketball. And uh, he's extremely knowledgeable. As far as uh, basketball, could spot uh, could spot trends uh, is a great help to me on the air, and uh, we have a uh, really good chemistry. And again, that's sort of evolved over a period of uh, over a period of years. And uh, Tony, uh, I know that he's uh, because he's so talented. A lot of play-by-play guys don't let their analysts talk very much because in on radio you've got to be super descriptive. But I try to let Tony. Uh, express himself and talk as, as much as possible without uh, us missing a, a basket or missing a, a offensive or defensive sequence. And he's very good at getting in and out and saying what he needs to say. And then the coming out of commercials, he usually brings it out because he'll have more analysis after the break. So um, that's sort of the way we do it. Game prep wise, how big is it? to find the stories and the articles and things that you're going to need compared to things either you won't or avoiding circuitry information circuitry overload for a particular broadcast because there's probably going to be a lot of things that you get that you will not need to use or you might have to hold on to. Well, 
Uh, I probably over-prepare, but I'd rather be over-prepared and throw three quarters of it in the trash than not be prepared and be, you know, groping for something. So uh, during a broadcast, you're probably going to use maybe a fourth or maybe even a third, if you're lucky, of what you prepare for. And then the rest of it's going to pretty much go in the trash can. But you don't know which one third you're going to use. So, uh, you know, it's uh, your preparation has to be thorough. Um, if I'm doing a basketball game, I'll try to watch the last uh, our upcoming opponents last two broadcasts our last two games on television so that I get an idea of who the players are, the rotation, uh, substitution patterns, um, all of that sort of stuff. I do that. Obviously, I'll use uh, game notes. You have to, uh, to have a spot chart uh, for football and basketball. And I'm old school, so I kind of keep my own score. I really don't need to do that, but I grew up when there weren't stat monitors and things like that. So uh, I'm used to it. I don't take my eyes off the court, but just for a second to write something down and try to do it at a time when, you know, there won't be a, a steal on an inbounds pass or something like that so that I don't get burned. But um, you, on that sheet, you've got uh, the name, number, height, weight, class, where they're from. And then underneath, I've got a system where I can, I can write some things about that particular player. If he, over the last, you know, 10 games, he's averaging 21 points a game and 10 rebounds or something like that. And if I get a chance to work that in, if it works, then I'll work it in. If it doesn't work, then don't try to force it because it's going to sound forced. And so uh, the things that are on that sheet are there to help you, but you don't want to force them. You want to uh, use them uh, at the appropriate time when you think that they'll uh, best help the broadcast. So <clears throat> when you're doing game prep during a week, how big is film and what all are you looking for as you do your game prep for a, either a Saturday or maybe a Friday, Sunday, Thursday, Saturday, ACC slate in hoops, or if you're playing a team you don't see very often in non-conference? Well, you don't have to do quite as much for an ACC game, especially later in the season, because you've already seen these teams, you know, the, you know, the players, uh, you can uh, you can go back and modify the first score sheet sheet that you that you did. Let's say we're playing Pitt for the second time. Uh, mm -hmm. You've got the first one there. You just modify that, and you pretty much know the personnel. A non-conference game, I think, is a little bit tougher, especially if it's a smaller school and their sports information department uh, isn't quite as good. And uh, so sometimes you really have to 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 reach for information on uh, who the who the top, you know, seven or eight players are on that team. And so uh, I think non-conference basketball, especially with the smaller schools, is a lot harder to do than uh, any other game that you'll face during the uh, during the season. So uh, you try to, to get uh, uh, their last two games, if they're on television. If they're not on television, I've had to do games blind. Uh, before because some of these smaller schools hardly ever get on television. So you pretty much just have to do name and number memorizations and call one of the assistant coaches or the, if the sports information uh, guy is good, he'll help you. 
and get an idea of how this team plays, what they're all about. And if you've got to go in uh, with no uh, video or anything like that, that's pretty much how you have to do it. It's got to be name and number memorization because uh, that's the only way that you can be super descriptive and, and know these players. And you have to have that uh, before you come into the gym at night. I mean, it's not uh, something that you get there two hours ahead of time and you think you're going to memorize these names and numbers. It's just not going to work. How big for you and what are your do's and don'ts when you're doing a broadcast that you pass along to up-and-coming broadcasters that you give to them that other people that have come along have given to you? Uh, well, I never had a whole lot of help. People giving me much. I just had to sort of acquire these things. Um, I think that you're trying to be as descriptive as possible. You would like a blind truck driver who knows nothing about NC State but is driving through North Carolina. Uh, you would like to be able to uh, get him to listen and get him involved in following the Wolfpack and get him to the point where he knows where the ball is, what the score is. Uh, maybe some of the players uh, obviously needs to know who has the ball. Uh, that's big because I hear a lot of radio broadcasts and I don't know either team and I'm trying to find out, well, who's got the ball right now? What's the score? Uh, you know, so I think that's big on radio. You got to know who to, for basketball or football. It doesn't really matter who's got the ball. Where is it? And then describe the play, set up the play, describe the play. I think that's uh, that's very, very important. And a lot of guys don't do that. They, they think that uh, they're not descriptive enough. You've got to be super descriptive because it's radio. You don't have to be super descriptive on television. What you have to do on television is you have to be more of a feature guy. Uh, you've got to uh, fill in the gaps in between the plays because the audience can see what's going on. They don't need you. Uh, they might need you to identify a player or two who took the shot if they're not really locked in as fans, if they're just casual fans. So you've got to call the game that way but you're more a, a feature person. And the main announcer on television is the color. The play-by-play -play guy is number two on radio. The play-by-play -play guy is number one, and the color analyst is number two. So that's a difference right there. As far as things that you don't do, uh, you don't want to be too late on anything. Uh, um, however, you can get faked out on football if you're too early. So uh, you've got you've to get a feel for that. In basketball, you never want the crowd to beat you. You want to call the shot good before the crowd erupts. Uh, in interviewing, you never want to ask long and involved questions. You never want to ask a 45-second question and get a five-second answer. <laughs> Your question should be uh, uh, very short to the point because the audience is, is not uh, looking to, to uh, uh, analyze your questions. They are there to hear the head coach's answer and so um, you need to keep that in mind where your questions need to be short you need to go in as you uh, have an interview with a plan but continuing to listen obviously because the, the answer may take you off in a different direction but still you need to go in there with a plan because if you're interviewing the head football coach he's a busy man and it's not like you can sit there and have four or five takes uh, we're doing this live. It's one take and you're gone. 
And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, you need to be a good, uh, you need to be a good interviewer. You need to be prepared. That's another thing. Uh, be prepared. You, but don't be so over prepared that you're overloaded and that sort uh, short circuits your ability to, uh, to do the job. But okay. those are some do's and don'ts that uh, come off the top of my head for you. How big for you are storylines in a broadcast and how big can storylines become if the game goes in another direction that when you look at all the storylines and articles and information about teams, it's like, oh, okay, this team may give up 55 points defensively, but they've given up 60, and yet the game's a close game. They have to, they would have to change you know, their style and be a run and gun instead of what they want to get into. Well, I don't worry about storylines too much unless it's, uh, you know, you got to have this game to have a chance to go to the NCAA tournament or you got to have this game to stay in contention for an ACC championship mm-hmm. or something like that. Because once the game starts, the game is going to evolve. And that's when your preparation comes in. And then you talk about, you know, this team only scores 55 points a game and all that. Well, that's already been set up in your pregame. So uh, if the fans have been with you during that time, they have a pretty good idea of what they're, uh, what this team is about and what they're listening for. And obviously, during the course of the game, you remind them about certain trends and certain things that happen. But a lot of these fans, they're going to know that Virginia hangs its hat on defense and isn't going to score many points. Right. And they're going to make it very, very hard for you to score. So what you're concentrating on is calling the game. And your color analyst then is going to come in with information about how uh, how well NC State is getting that done or how well they're not getting it done or what is Virginia doing to keep uh, State's uh, shooting percentage in the uh, in the 30s right now. Just things like that. Well, Sean, I know it took a little bit, and thank you for the time. I know you have other things to take care of. Oh, yeah, one more thing. How are you keeping yourself sharp even though we're in these unprecedented and crazy times for broadcasts and everything else. How are you keeping yourself, you know, sharp when, for whenever the season starts, whenever it does? Uh, well, I don't worry about that because uh, I never really get too excited for football until about August. <laughs> and then I start to learn about the team and then I start to get excited until then. Because I do not only football, basketball, and some baseball games, uh, I enjoy my summer, and I enjoy the time off to kind of decompress and uh, recharge my batteries and get ready for the next season. Uh, I can't stay uh, up for 365 days. I just can't. <laughs> I just can't. <laughs> oh, no, I understand. Oh, I mean. So these uh, times with this coronavirus – uh, they really haven't affected me all that much, and I don't think they'll affect my job performance comes fall, uh, come fall if uh, we do have football. I just read something from Dr. Fauci, the uh, guru of uh, corona, the coronavirus, and he's saying with uh, more cases coming uh, day, uh, daily that uh, we may not have football. And that was dated today, June the 19th, uh, 2020. So, uh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't have a crystal ball, but I do know one thing, that uh, when the season is here, if there is a season, and hopefully there will be one, that uh, I'll be ready, that uh, the rest of the broadcast team will be ready and we'll be excited and looking forward to it. 
My thanks to the longtime voice of the pack, Gary Hahn, for being my guest this week on this edition of the Blind Broadcaster Podcast. Please remember to rate, subscribe, and review Blind Broadcaster Podcast, a proud entity of the Luther King Broadcast Network. If you'd like to learn more about this podcast, you can find out more information on my website at LutherKingBroadcastNetwork.com, the Facebook podcast page, the Blind Broadcaster Podcast Facebook page, and for the play-by-play events, look up the Luther King Broadcast Network page on Facebook as well. You can find me on Twitter at King underscore TSB, on IG at LKing.CardinalSan85. Email address is also the same way you can find me on Facebook with the following information. Luther.King.TSB at gmail.com for suggestions of people you would like to have me interview on this podcast. So, until next time, this has been the Blind Broadcaster Podcast, an exclusive presentation and a proud entity of the Luther King Broadcast Network. And from my team to your families, happy Thanksgiving. You've been listening to the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network. Each episode, Luther King sits down with fellow broadcasters to get their insight into their passion for broadcasting and discuss their career journey. Blind from birth, Luther King never let that stop him from attaining his goal of becoming a blind broadcaster. To find out more about the Blind Broadcaster Podcast presented by the Luther King Broadcast Network, search the Blind Broadcaster Podcast or Luther King Broadcast Network on social media or visit Luther King Broadcast Network. Network.com.